always excited to see uh, a good crowd. And so do ask for your prayers this morning as we try to share a few thoughts. I, I'll try not to take too much time. Do pray for Brother Eddie as he prepares to speak to us this morning that the Lord will grant him just a special unction from on high that he might boldly proclaim the truth in love and that we might, as Brother Adam prayed last week, that we might see the Lord high and lifted up. Yeah. That's what we would, that's what we desire this morning is to see the Lord high and lifted up. Um, I don't remember exactly when it was that I really became interested in scripture and doctrine and those types of, of things, but when I, when I did, there was one, um, you know, out of all the doctrines that we, uh, think about and look at and discuss, there is one that to me seemed to be a little more important than all of the others. And that, um, uh, in, in, um, in theology, we call it soteriology. That's the doctrine. It's the doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of how we're saved. Now, Scripture teaches, uh, I believe, two distinct types of salvation. And that second one we often talk about, and I, I talk about it probably, I, I don't know, as much as I talk about anything, because it's it's the only thing that we have any involvement in, and it's what we we as old Baptists call timely salvation. But that's not um, that's not what soteriology is. Soteriology is how we are saved eternally. Now, for many many years, as I was growing up, I was taught, you know, that we also have a part in that. And for some reason, it just did not. Uh, as I would look into Scripture and read Scriptures and think on the things that I've read, that teaching that we had some part in that process, it just didn't make sense to me. There's, a, and I, I know you all know this, and I, but I thought I might share it again anyway because it's, to me it still is the most important doctrine. It's the motor, the, the motor, the motivator behind all that we might do or say as children of God. You know, it comes from that, uh, what Brother Houston, his favorite passage, the one that he always quoted, Isaiah 41 and 2. He says, the prophet says, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably unto Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished. Not can be. And you see, that's the difference between the teaching that I was brought up under and what I believe to be the truth now is that, you know, I was taught that the warfare, the battle had been started, <laughs> that the warfare had been, you know, partially accomplished, that, that, that the Lord had taken care of 99% of the fight. All I had to do was respond to that little 1% and I would secure my own eternal salvation. But it's not true. Let me tell you what, eternal salvation is the work of God and only God and, and no one has any part of that except God. Paul gives us, and there's so many scriptures I could use to 
to demonstrate that very fact. Um, but I'm going to use uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, beginning. Because it's so clear, the teaching of, of soteriology, of how are you saved. And, and again, you know, when you're, a, when you're looking, when you're out there looking, and I, I can testify to this because it's my experience. I was looking. When you're looking and you see so many various teachings and you hear all these different ideas and concepts and then you try to find that and match it up with Scripture and it doesn't match. Let me tell you, there is great comfort in finding the truth. So Paul says in Ephesians 2, verse 1, beginning, he says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, just immediately we see a picture of uh, of a, a death or someone who is dead. And then a resurrection. I think Brother Ed used the example of Lazarus a couple weeks ago, and it was a great example, a perfect example. It teaches this concept. You know, when when uh, Jesus came to that place where Lazarus was, you know, he told the disciples, he said, you know, my friend Lazarus is sick, so we're going to see him. And he told him, he says, he sleepeth. And the disciples thought, well, if he's sleeping, Lord, there he's doing good. He's doing good. He'll get better. And he says, no, that's not the kind of sleep I'm talking about. He's dead. He has died. But we're going. Not that, uh, not for any other reason except that God might be glorified through this demonstration. And so when he gets there, he didn't ask Lazarus if he wanted to come forth. I mean, we all know how that story goes. But that's this. That's this process. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. As as natural, um, non-born again people who who are, when we come into this world, and and again, I don't know at what time, I mean, the, the Spirit can work whenever and wherever He wants, I think. I think there are people that come out of the womb born again. Uh, there are people who don't get born again until they're 99. I, I believe that's how this, because the Spirit comes and He works whenever and wherever He wants to. There's no uh, stone in front of the tomb that could stop Him. There's no, uh, there's no womb that can conceal Him. There's no, David says, there's nowhere. I can't go deep enough to get away from you. I can't go high enough to get away from you. There's no place that a man can go to get away from God, God can go there wherever wherever He wants to. And this is the demonstration of that. This is the truth behind that. And you hath He quickened. And so just thinking about those that very first phrase, you hath He quickened, it means you were dead. So you were dead. I mean if 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 you hadn't if you were not dead, there would have been no reason for him to have quickened you. You see what I'm saying? Quickening means to, or quickened to, means to be made alive. So in modern English, we might say, and you has he made alive who were, who was dead. <laughs> he made you alive because you were dead. When you were dead. But not only were we just dead, we were dead in a specific kind of way. He says you were dead in trespasses and sins. You see, it's not just a a natural death. That's not the kind of death that Paul's talking about here. Because we're alive. We're alive and well and moving around. But if, if you're dead to Christ, 
That means you're dead in sin. It means you're just a natural, natural only. You've got human nature only. That's all you've got. No, no, no Christ-like nature. Nothing inside you that would desire the Lord or the, or the things of the Lord. Nothing inside you that would receive spiritual things because in order to receive those, you know, Paul tells us in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, you know, we have to have that spirit in us already. So you got to be alive. That's what Paul's saying. Again, Paul's saying you got to be alive to hear these spiritual things. And so how do we get that way? Well, simple. Again, this is that... This is the real doctrine of soteriology. This is the real doctrine of how you're saved. You were dead, and when he decided to do so, he made you alive. You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Then Paul kind of expounds on the concept of where we came from. He says, we're in time past who walked. According to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation. That word conversation, we've talked about it before, just means our lifestyle. That's how we lived. In times past, that's how we all lived, he said. He said uh, we were just fulfilling the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we're by nature... By nature, that means just means that's how we were born naturally. By nature, we were the children of wrath, even as others. Again, if there is uh, ever a phrase in Scripture that changes things, that makes a difference, it's that little three-letter word, but. <laughs> but God. You see, we were in a, in a state of death. Uh, a state of decay. You know, when uh, Jesus came to the tomb of Lazarus and he, he, he asked, uh, uh, I guess it was Martha, you, you know, um, where is he? Where, where, where have they laid him? I, I want to go and see. She said, but Lord, he stinketh. You know, that's how we are. In a natural state, we are like that. Lord, we stinketh. There is nothing about us that would be redeemable, redeem-worthy. There's nothing about us that would make us, that would make anyone desire us but God. <laughs> but God, who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us, even, not in spite of the fact, or not, not when we were when we just come out of that, or when we just responded just a little bit, when we lifted our hand just enough. I used to talk to a friend of mine, and we would have discussions about this concept, and that he would say, you know, he says it's not about were we depraved, because we were. He says the real question is how depraved were we. Were we were we just depraved ninety nine percent so that that last you know point one percent could raise our hand toward God? It was total total depravity. We were totally depraved. There was nothing about us alive, quickened toward God. But God, who is rich in mercy, 
For His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. There's the answer. That's, that's, so, that's the doctrine of soteriology. By grace are you saved. Not because of anything we've done, but for His love, His great mercy wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins. I hope that we can all remember these things. Please do pray for this dear brother as he stands before us this morning that he'll be able to share those things that are right and good and mostly honoring to the king. Would you bow with me as we try to pray? Our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you and we praise you for this Lord's day. We thank you for this opportunity that we've had that we might come together, Lord, that we might look into your word. Lord, that we might uh, gain a deeper understanding of who you are and what you have done for us, Lord. Lord, that ultimately we might be able to see you high and lifted up. And Lord, as the, the prophet has said, and as the apostles have said that throughout all the New Testament, Lord, when we do, when we finally see you um, the way you really are, Lord, we might just in some way serve you as we should. Lord, we thank you for... Uh, uh, this church, Lord, we thank you for all those that have come out today, Lord. We pray for those that uh, aren't here and able to be with us today, Lord. We lift them up to you, Lord, for the many that we've mentioned today, Lord. We just lay those needs at your feet, knowing that you, Lord, are the great physician. You can provide all those things that we stand in need of today, Lord. Lord, give us this day the things that we need. Lord, please continue to go with us and just be merciful to us. And Lord, now as Brother Eddie comes and stands before us, Lord, we pray that you might just grant him this anointing from on high, Lord. Just fill him with your spirit, Lord. Remove uh, just all of himself out of the way and just let him speak to us, Lord. Uh, empower and demonstration of the spirit, Lord, and so that we might be able to see you high and lifted up. Lord, forgive us where we fail you, Lord. Please continue to go with us and distress the things we need. For it's in Christ's name we pray these things for his sake. I appreciate a good introductory. It, it always uh, makes me wonder if the things I have on my mind is the right things, and we think of so many places we could go and pick up on the things. But have you ever heard the expression of sin sick sinner? Some of the people talks about these sin sick sinners, and, and I've heard them, you know, heard men say, "Well, this man is under conviction." I can just see it. He needs to come to the church and get saved. Well, let me tell you something. A sin-sick sinner is already saved. Before he's saved, he's a dead sinner. <laughs> he's not just sick, he's dead. And when he becomes sick of his sin, that's one of the best indications that you have that he's really already been saved. The Spirit has taught him that he is a sinner. Uh, Brother Clyde Walker always was such an inspiration to me, and I asked him one time, "How you know, brother? How you know if you're born again?" He said, "If you know you're a sinner, you know you're saved. It's it's an evidence that you have already been saved because you know you're a sinner. You realize that it's a wonderful blessing. And so, if you're just sick of sin in your life, I'm telling you, you are under conviction, and it's a wonderful thing. But I won't tell you where the remedy for the problem is. The remedy for sin sickness is understanding, believing 
faith in Christ and, and knowledge, and it relieves those anxieties and those feelings that we might have when we see ourselves dead in sin or feel to be that way. We realize that uh, that we're sick of sin, then you can know you're alive. You've been born to the Spirit. Uh, I've been a word going around my household the last uh, last night, yesterday afternoon, today, as uh, Shane and Dana's been visiting with us and always thankful to have our children at home. And and uh, the word is purpose. I've heard Shane say it three or four times, and I've heard Dana talk about everyone needs a purpose. We need a purpose. And, you know, as we rise in the morning, it's wonderful when we have a, a purpose for that day. And that's true. That's a healthy uh, uh, environment, a healthy thing in our own minds to to have something we desire, something to look forward to, or something to focus on and to and to uh, try to accomplish that day. So that's really what a purpose is. It's it's when we have that uh, that uh, desire or that uh, intent in our mind, on, and we we're working toward a goal, something good for the day. I want us to just just keep that in mind. I've thought about that last night, this morning, and. So what is our purpose in life? What is our purpose? And we ever ask ourselves that. Uh, well, first of all, we need to understand something about God's purpose. Let me read you a scripture in first, second Timothy, beginning in verse 9. It says, Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose. Amen. God had a purpose in calling us. Uh, he didn't call us out of darkness into light just uh, for no reason. God had a reason for calling each and every one of us, and He's always on time, always right. It's always, you know, God is a God of uh, perfect knowledge, perfect wisdom, uh, all-powerful. And when He calls us, you have He quickened who were dead. He calls us out of that state of darkness into a marvelous light, of, of uh, the, the spirit within us must be born again to see the kingdom or to enter the kingdom. But he says it was according to his own purpose and grace which was given us when we decided to follow the Lord. I'll imitate Brother David. <laughs> he says things like that sometimes. No, it was given us in Christ Jesus and I believe that was in the covenant of grace. And it was before the world began. <clears throat> God's purpose for you didn't just occur one day out of uh, thin air. <laughs> but God's purpose for each one of us that He has called out of darkness into light was even before the world began. It was in Christ Jesus, the Son of God. It was an agreement, a covenant transaction between the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And and he says it, but now it is made manifest. That means it's come to light. It's here. We can see it now by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death. Oh, comfort ye, comfort ye, my favorite. Your warfare is accomplished. He's abolished 
the law of sin and death is really what that's saying. There was a law of sin and death passed upon all of man in the garden when Adam transgressed the law, the law of sin and death. God said, when you sin, you die. That law is still in existence today. When we sin, we're dead in sin. We're separated from God. But we are delivered from that law of sin and death, and we're now under the spirit of the law of Christ. We're under the, a different law now. It's a parental law. But he says he abolished death, and he brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. The gospel don't give the life. The, there is no uh, regeneration in the gospel message, but it brings the gospel message, brings that immortality or that regenerating eternal life that's in Christ, that's in us. It brings it to light. And so why do we preach? It's to tell you that your warfare is accomplished, that Christ has come and finished the work. And it's and he said it it brings life, hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, wherein we are appointed preachers. By the day we need to tell them that every Sunday, don't we? Now, <clears throat> Philippians chapter one. Let me read a verse out of here, and then I won't go back and read some in the Old Testament. Paul to to the Philippian church says. Uh, he says, let's begin verse 4, Always in every prayer of man, for you all making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. I'm going to tell you there's a great blessing in the fellowship of the gospel. When we're able to come together and to have that sweet communion, that fellowship one with another in the true gospel. Jesus said, uh, you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. There's nothing in this world compares with understanding the truth. But he says, I'm confident of this very thing, uh, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, many in the world today says, if you're under conviction, <laughs> back to what I started with, if you're sick of your sin, you're under conviction, and God has did that for you and started that work in you, they say you've got to come and offer yourself and do whatever the rules are that many have come up with, or you might miss heaven. <clears throat> well, Paul said, I'm confident of this, and you can be confident of this, that he which has begun the work in you, now it's Christ that begins, it's God that begins, the Spirit begins that work in you that causes conviction. <clears throat> And I believe when a man is born to the Spirit, there is an initial conviction of sin in the man's heart and soul that just makes you sick of sin. You wish you could be perfect, but no, we can't. And so, he says, you just be confident of this. If that work has begun in you, it will be finished. God will perform it unto the day of Christ. And I believe that's the second coming. That day of Christ that when He comes again in His glory to and raises all that are in the graves and, and wafts us away into that eternal light. Now Jesus taught in chapter 10 of John, He says, uh, <clears throat> I am the door. And by me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. 
I'm going to tell you, he's not talking about finding pasture in heaven. He's not talking about the glory, glory world or the triumphant church. But he says, when you, when you come in and you're saved, you'll go out and find pasture. I'm telling you, there's a pasture for God's children. And it's found in the church kingdom. It's found in the fellowship of the gospel. It's the green grass of the kingdom. It's the things we love and enjoy that'll nourish us and cause us to enjoy and to live this life that he's about to tell us about. He says, The thief cometh not but to steal and to kill. I'm going to tell you there's been a lot of false teaching, false prophets. They're thieves. Satan is a champion thief. And his whole goal is to rob God, uh, to rob us of uh, of that fellowship we have in the gospel and to rob God of His glory that we should be giving Him. But he says, He just comes to kill and steal, to destroy. But I'm come that you may have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I'm going to tell you there's an abundant life for God's children. Uh, he says, I'm the good shepherd and I give my life for the sheep. Uh what a wonderful thought that is. I will turn now, if you will, turn with me to Psalms uh, 100. Psalms 100. I'm going to read that psalm. Just that's a, I love psalms, and I go to psalms quite often just for simple comfort and joy of the Scriptures and to, to just to bask in the, in the love of God. And he tells us in Psalms 100. Now what I want to try to talk to us about this morning, if I can for a few minutes, is Brother David has wonderfully explained to us that we're not, we have no input into that initial, that wonderful salvation of, uh, that's eternal in nature, that it's only of God, it's immediate regeneration, it's not a, a, a process that we go through to get saved. But it's immediate. It's like uh, when God said to Lazarus, Rise, you know, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came forth. Immediate. Like the babe in Ezekiel. Live. The baby lived. He was dead in sin. You know, dead in natural death. Example there. But he lived. He was made alive. And that's the way the, the Spirit does. I told Nicodemus, it's like the wind. It bloweth where it listeth. The word listeth means sovereignly. It's God's sovereign work in us. He needs no help. There's no nothing we can do or add to it or say or do that would change God's mind or plan or the way that He does that. <clears throat> and so it's like the wind. It bloweth where it lifts us. We hear the sound of the wind. We cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone that is born to the Spirit. It's pretty simple, isn't it? That we have nothing to do with it. Now, if you can get up to, when the big tornado starts to come, if you can just go out and say, get away from us and make it happen, then the Scriptures is not right. right. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you, the Scripture is right, and it's always right, and we cannot control the wind. <clears throat> and we're not exempt from the tragedies and the things of nature that comes upon the, the land. A lot, of, a lot of people preach a doctrine that says if you'll just be a good boy, you'll be exempt from everything. Jesus said in this world you shall have tribulation. We will have tribulation. and we, But he says be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He's overcome that 
and and so we can we have the ability to withstand the tribulations and to be uh, 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 of good cheer even when tribulations come. Now Psalms 100 says, "Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing." I want to talk this morning to us about serving the Lord. What it is, it's, we call it many times temporal salvation, timely salvation. There is there is uh, scriptures all through the Bible. I think the majority of the Bible, I've said this a lot of times, let me say it again. These, this book is not a roadmap to heaven for God's children. It's a guidebook to life while we live here in this world. It's our guidebook. It's what we turn to for uh, instruction, for comfort, and for joy, and for the things that, you know, that's good. And it's, it's a wonderful book, and it's 100% true. It's God's inspired Word. And if we get it uh, uh, wrong, it's our fault. There's nothing wrong in the Scriptures. When, when Paul told Timothy to rightly divide the Word of Truth, he wasn't saying divide the, 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 the error from the the truth, but he was saying, break this truth up, divide it in such a way that God's little children can understand it. And that's what we try to do. But he says, know ye that the Lord, He is God. And I'm going to tell you that's one of the first lessons that a little child of God, being after he's been raised from the dead, <laughs> quickened in by, you know, the Spirit, the very first thing that we have to realize and understand is that the Lord, He is God. There is no higher authority. He is our Lord. The word Lord simply means one in authority. God is Lord of our lives. We owe it to Him to be uh, uh, obedient children. And He says, It is He that made us and not we ourselves. Oh, when we can understand that. That we owe it all to Him. It is He even that made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. We go in and out and find pasture. He says, I'm going to teach you and I'm going to guide you to an abundant life. A life where we can find that pasture. And I'm going to tell you, a good pasture is really good, isn't it? Uh I remember one story in the Old Testament about the young man named Mephibosheth. He lived in a land called Lodibar. You know what the word Lodibar translated means? A place with of no pasture. A desert land. Uh, 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 found Jacob there in a waste held in wilderness. And he led him about and instructed him as the apple of his eye. Oh, what a wonderful it is to understand, to read and know the Scriptures. But he says... He tells us then, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him, and bless his name, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. His truth endureth to all generations. I'm going to tell you, the Bible is just as true today as it was when it was written. It will endure to the end. The Word of God, the written Word, will be here uh, somewhere, I believe, being proclaimed uh, somewhere in the world when Jesus comes again. Uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of perversions. <laughs> you know, we talk about revisions and translations and all, but I'm going to tell you there are some perversions out there too. 
There are texts that men have added to and taken away to the point where they hardly even sound like the Bible when I've tried to look at some of those. But we won't get off on that subject, hopefully. But in, you know, uh, this week I read the book of Job again, and I, I'm amazed at the life that Job had. We clear back before, uh, and or some says it's the first book written, the first oldest uh, record we have. But Job knew this. <clears throat> He says, I have esteemed the words of his mouth. And he's talking about God. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. <clears throat> but he is in one mind. Now here, Job had it, uh, uh, enlightenment that's way beyond what a lot have today. Uh, he says, he is in one mind and who can turn him? <clears throat> And what his soul desireth, even that he doeth. Now what do we say about God's purpose and grace? Here it is, that what his soul desireth, whatever God has purposed, whatever God has said will be, will be. You can just take it to the bank. That he, he whatever his soul desireth, he, even that he doeth, for he performeth the thing which is appointed unto me. <clears throat> Paul said, I already opened with that. Paul said in Philippians, you know, that uh, <clears throat> he'll finish whatever he has begun, the work he's begun in you, he will finish it He will uh, until the day of Christ. So much of the Scripture, so wonderful are the Scriptures in, in these thoughts. <clears throat> no other place in Scriptures do I find more comfort than in the... the, the uh, uh, Sermon on the Mount. We looked at Matthew and beginning in chapter 5, 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew, we find that uh, up top you'll see the Sermon on the Mount. Well, Jesus went out to the Mount of Olives and began to teach His disciples. Now, uh, what we want to bring to your mind today is that this life that we have, uh, we can have this an abundant life. And I believe life is like a journey. We can, if we could put it in those terms, when we we begin our journey as a Christian, as we've been born to the Spirit, we believe we've understood that and we feel that we have that uh, feeling of sin sickness and we want to be better. We begin the journey. Well, it's like a journey of life. And, and you know, uh, as we make this journey, it's not always on the brand new four-lane interstate, is it? <laughs> You know, where it's just a free, easy way to go. But this journey of life has lots of detours in it. <clears throat> I'm going to tell you the, the, our, uh, the end of this journey, if we can look at it that way, it's going to be the same for all of us. When we come to the final and last end, when our final day is done on this earth, our journey will end in that triumphant kingdom of God and we'll all be there in the same form, same manner, in the image of Christ. But along the way, in this journey, there are, there are uh, many pitfalls. <laughs> There's a lot of detours. This life is not just like an interstate highway all the time. We're going to be detoured. We're going to come off. And so the instructions that God has given us in the Scriptures... They're there to tell us how to deal with life as we know it, as we live day to day, 
We have the wonderful instructions. We find a, a, a wonderful example. If you want to really see this uh, journey from uh, being born again to the end or even to the kingdom, the church kingdom, read Joshua. It's a, it's a testimony of God's uh, leading His children from the wilderness to Canaan's land. And I believe Canaan's land in the Scriptures. Uh, some people believe, and we sing a song sometimes that portrays it as heaven itself. But we must understand uh, that Canaan in the Scriptures, when God was leading Israel toward that good land, that land that flowed with milk and honey, in my mind it's a picture of the church kingdom here in time in which we live. And as we journey along that way, there will be... Uh, ups and there will be downs. There will be times of joy and times of sorrow. We're not exempt from the tragedies of life and the things of this world. I've heard people make out like that and, and some of the thieves and robbers you know they'll say well if you'll just send us so much a month your life will just turn out so much better you'll just have everything you want. I'm going to tell you that's not the way it is. The life of a true Christian uh, we we are we suffer many times the tribulations and the things of life, but Jesus made a way for us to survive that and to overcome those things and to to be able to with cheer. He says, you know, uh, we in this life we have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome. So if we are looking to Jesus and with uh, are able to overcome those obstacles along the way. Life's journey will be much smoother. I'll tell you, uh, the life that I see many, and especially today in the young culture that's coming up and some of the things we hear, I'm going to tell you it's, a, it's not a good journey. There's, there's mountains and hills that climbing. You know, uh, there's uh, desert lands to go through. And if we'll be uh, astute, reader, a good uh, uh, disciple. I, maybe I put it, I read some more about discipleship this week, and there's a big difference in sonship and discipleship. Brother David's already told us how we become sons. <clears throat> sonship is the fact that God made us his sons. But discipleship is the journey along the way. <laughs> when I first began to study, I thought disciples all dressed with suits and ties and white shirts and they were the you know the very upstanding great men of uh, that we could read about and I would see but I finally come to understand that the the a disciple is simply a learner a follower and a learner of Christ now uh we may be uh better disciples or poorer disciples you understand that we have the opportunity given us to have life and have it more abundantly. And when Jesus taught in the, all through the Scriptures, seems to me like the longer I study and read and think about these things, the more I see of discipleship rather. I mean, I'm so thankful to understand sonship. I'm thankful to understand that the prodigal son, and I think there's another wonderful example the prodigal was the father's son when he went away, just as much as he was when he came back. <laughs> the prodigal 
uh, was still one of the sons. There were two sons, and, got, and uh, you know, the father divided his inheritance. One of them went out and wasted it, and the other one stayed at home. But in the end, the one that had went out and wasted it came back to his father's house and said, uh, if I can just be a doorkeeper in my father's house, if I can just come and be a servant, and a servant, uh, you know, a hired servant, that's a day-to-day servant. And uh, even uh, then he said, if I, I would be better off there than I am out here in this old hog pen of the world. And when he returned, guess what? The father was waiting for him. The father was looking for him. And when he saw him coming, he says, Go kill the fatted calf, put my ring on his hand, put him in my best attire, and sing and let's make music, for my son was lost, but now he's saved. He wasn't lost eternally. (laughs) That's not the picture there. The picture there is he was lost out in this world. He had made a big detour. And he had got off into into uh, disgrace uh, as, as he was feeding swine, eating the swine food. He'd got so low. And finally, that conviction that comes from God, that, that uh, uh, I believe the, the hand of the Lord at the right time said, you'd be better off as a, as a servant in your father's house than you are here. Oh, what a wonderful story that is about discipleship. But as Jesus began to teach, of course, read 5 and 6 and 7 of, of, uh, of uh, Matthew, Sermon on the Mount, and he tells us uh, about all oh, there's things in this is so wonderful. He asks us this, in chapter uh, 6, and he begins this way in verse 24. No man can serve two masters. What's Jesus getting at when he asks this question or says this, makes this statement? No man can serve two masters. Who are we going to serve? That's the question, isn't it? Now, you're on the road to, to discipleship. You're you're uh, uh, striving for better things. You know that you're. It would be better to be with the Lord to be right. And so, how? Who are we going to serve? He says, "You can't serve two masters. You've got to make your mind up to serve me or to serve the flesh. Serve in the spirit or serve the flesh. Serve in the world." He says, "No man can serve two." He'll hate one, love the other, or he else he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and Mammon. <clears throat> you cannot. Jesus taught lots of things you couldn't do. He says if you put old wine in new bottles, it'll break the bottles. You can't serve under the Old Testament law and in the gospel kingdom. Uh, you can't. You've got to be obedient to reap the harvest or the benefit of the blessings of God requires obedience. And so he says, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. Is not life more than meat and the body than raiment? Now I don't think Jesus is saying don't be good stewards of what God has blessed you with. Certainly we're to be good stewards. Uh, We're to... 
we're to take care of what God has blessed us with. And he says, but think about it. Where did you get what you got? <laughs> you know, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, life is more than these things that we have. Behold, he said, just look at the fowls of the air. They sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? <laughs> Certainly he, we know that God's little children are better than any of the creation. This world was created. Man was made and put into this earth to be over the earth. And, and he's, the, uh, he's, he's the one that was created in the image of Christ. And says, which of you by taking thought can add one cubic unto his stature? <clears throat> what did he say over there in Psalms 100? It is God that made you, not we ourselves. It's God that made us be satisfied with how God made you. That's what he's saying. He says, Why take you thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. Yet, and yet I say unto you that even Solomon, the richest man ever lived on earth, even Solomon in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. <clears throat> I was so amazed. Let me share this with you. I got my cataracts removed and went out and sat down in the sunroom. And after my uh, vision had become clear, I looked out and there's the crepe myrtle, most beautiful flowers, bright, vivid, pink, red looking. I hadn't been able to see them. I'd been looking at them, and they were almost gray looking out there, just dull. But when we're cataracts, without those, I can see vividly. And and how oh how about the the lilies of the field? How oh when we just look at nature around us, that God has created and set in front of us, how wonderful it is. <clears throat> and so I believe God's children. Walking in this journey, and these, sometimes we get to the place we need to have some cataract surgery, don't we? We need to just stop and look at the creation, at the things that God has blessed us to see and to to, to rejoice in. I remember early on in my, uh, if I had truly an experience of grace, and I believe I did or I wouldn't be here today, but I remember being out in the field and had never before thought about the creation and how majestic and how beautiful everything was could just be going down the road and see some great some uh, form out there and and just begin to tears flow because i just hadn't thought about how great god was and how wonderful and the majesty of god in even in creation was and that he's left these things here for us to see and to enjoy and to uh, see those good things. But he said, just think about it. He says, Solomon, even the richest man that ever lived that had all the gold and all the, anything he desired, he said, he, he wasn't arrayed like one of my little flowers out here. <clears throat> Wherefore, he said, here's our lesson. Wherefore, listen to this. If God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall not he much more clothe ye, O ye of little faith? Oh, sometimes we forget, don't we, to 
to depend solely upon the blessings of God. And his, he, he has blessed us. I love Brother Robert. He, every time I see him, he'll say, Brother Eddie, I'm the most blessed individual I know of. <laughs> and I say, Amen, Brother Robert, except for me. I believe I'm the most blessed. And I hope each one of us can feel that way. That God has blessed us beyond our imagination. That we have things that could never believe could have happened to us along the way of this old journey of life. And he says, O ye of little faith, therefore, in view of that, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? You don't have to worry about all that anymore. You believe that God has furnished the table. He's furnished us with the good things. And so he says, take no thought about the natural things. You've got the spiritual things. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth you have need of all these things. You know he knows all about us. He knows our every need. and He knows our ever, uh, everything we could ever ask for or uh, uh, believe. He knows it. And, but he says this, and here's our guide. Here's our purpose in life you want to find your purpose here's the purpose here's why he has raised us out of darkness to light he says seek you first the kingdom of god and his righteousness oh that's not such a hard uh, thing is it seek you first put it first seek it first put it before everything else in your life what jesus tell his disciples he says you have to hate your, and I don't believe that's talking about the kind of hate we think about, but you hate your life. You hate your, he says, mother, brother, sister, father, all of these things that we would put so much emphasis into. He says, you got to love me more. Put me first. When you put me first in your life, all these other things will fall in place and come together. He, and, and then I'll, I'll read before I forget it, let me turn to it and, and mark it. I want to read a, a scripture uh, that he, what he told uh, Joshua in this journey that Joshua, the uh, children of Israel made as they was leaving Egypt. Picture of the world and and the evil of the world as they was leaving. I'll get to that read. Let me finish this. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And take therefore no thought for tomorrow. For the morrow will take thought of the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. I'm going to tell you this world, there's enough of that going on without us adding to it. (laughs) When we seek the Lord and His righteousness, you'll have all you need. Might not have everything we want. Sometimes we let the flesh, we let the wants, Brother James Isaac, I remember him preaching a sermon one time. He said, over in Arkansas, we just say, oh, we want this and we want that, you know. But he says, that's that's so true, that the evil of the day is sufficient thereof. Now, what did he tell Joshua? As Joshua had took over Moses' uh, position as the leader of the Israelites, they had been delivered out of Egypt. They were had come through the Red Sea. Uh, they had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because of disobedience and lack of faith. I'm going to tell you, 
God is a just God. God requires in our walk that we walk according to His commandments. How are we going to know the commandments unless we concentrate, read, and pray, and, and, and try to do what He said do? Moses didn't get to, he didn't have entrance into the Canaan's land. Moses was denied entrance there. Why? Because he didn't, he didn't trust the Lord, didn't believe the Lord. He, he said, uh, you know, when God told him to, to, uh, speak to the rock, first time he said, strike it, he struck it and the water flowed forth. Next time he said, speak to it, what did Moses do? He said, well, I struck it the first time, I'll strike it again. Work. See, it wasn't what God said do. And God said, Moses, of course, I believe there's more into that than, that, than just that. Uh, that's just a real quick way of saying it. But God, uh, but Moses, when he looked out at the children of Israel, uh, he said, oh, he said, you rebels. <laughs> oh, God forbid that we ever viewed God's children as rebels, Brother David. Oh, we are all rebels, but we don't, we don't down them and call them that. <laughs> God was displeased with Moses. Moses didn't do right to the jot and tittle what he was supposed to do. And God said, Moses, because you disobeyed me, you you struck that rock. Jesus didn't need to be uh, struck but once. (laughs) I'm going to tell you, when Jesus died on the cross, he put away our sins, and it happened once, and it'll never happen again. Moses, you know, Jesus is the rock sometimes. He's spoken of as the rock. Jesus, that rock won't ever be smitten twice. But Moses struck the rock. God said, Moses, you can't go into Canaan's land because you disobeyed me. But he took him up on the bluff, on the hill, when they got to Jordan. Took him up and he let him view it. I'm going to tell you, it's, it's a blessing if you can just view Canaan's land. If you can just see the things, it's a blessing. But oh, what a greater blessing we were able to enter in, to actually be with the fellowship of the gospel and the fellowship of the saints in Canaan's land, partaking of the uh, of the milk and the wine and the the grapes that hung by in clusters that would take two men to carry. That's all symbolic language, I believe, of the benefits of the church kingdom of being here in in the fellowship of the saints. But as they were getting ready. They, they've come to the end of the wilderness journey. Read Hebrews 3 and 4, why some of them didn't come. But it was a lack of faith and belief. They come here. Moses couldn't go, so God uh, chose Joshua to lead the people. And he says to Joshua, he says, There shall not, be, not any man be able to stand before thee. Verse 5 of the first chapter, Joshua. All the days of thy life. Did God have the power to do what He told Joshua He would do? Yes, He does. God will do whatever He desires to do. If He's chosen a man to lead His people, that man will lead the people. <clears throat> I'm an old Jonah one time. He wasn't going to go. <laughs> what happened to him? He got swallowed up by the whale. He finally went to Nineveh, didn't he? When God got through with him, he was willing to go. And I'm going to tell you, God don't work that way in every case. And God allows us freedom. We're not robots in the kingdom. Don't get that idea. <clears throat> we have that opportunity. Uh, like 
Esther of old when said, you know, who knoweth but what you was called to the kingdom for such a time as this, that you have the opportunity to go and to help save thy people, not eternally, but from the hang, hang from old, the guy that was going to hang them all, say, she had the opportunity to go before the king. Might cost her her life, but she said, if I perish, I perish. I'll go. Oh, I wish we all had that motivation, that we would be willing to go even at our cost of our life. Amen. We would go. <clears throat> he tells Joshua, I'll be with you. I'm, he says, I will not fail you, nor forsake thee. <clears throat> I am the Lord, I change not. <laughs> Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. When God promises us a promise, it will be fulfilled. And Joshua must have known that. God said to Joshua, Be strong, be of good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to the law which Moses my servant commanded thee, turn not from it. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. I'm going to tell you, God has promised us that. That if we'll do according to his word, he'll go with us and he'll prosper us. You want an abundant life? <laughs> you want a prosperous, abundant life? Do what God says do. Follow Him. Be a disciple. Do the things that is commanded in the Scriptures today. I wish I had another 30 minutes, but I know it's not expedient for me to go on. But let me tell you, let me share one more. <clears throat> he says, Straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, not eternal life. Don't, when you read these kind of scriptures, ask yourself, is this a positional text or is this a conditional text? These texts are conditional upon our way we live. He says there's a straight gate. <clears throat> That's a straight and narrow way. And where does it lead? It leads unto life. And let me add, it leads to life and life more abundantly. The same life Jesus was talking about. This abundant life right here in the kingdom while we live in this present world. But he said there will be few that will find it. Do you ever wonder why that there's so few of us anymore? I'm going to tell you because Satan and the world and all the things out there entices God's little children, gets us off of the interstate into the pitfalls and the the side roads and the dirt roads and the mountains and the hills of this old world, we we just are, are prone to it. That old nature that we still have, you know, when we get, when we're born again, yes, we're given a new nature, but we don't get rid of the old one. And so there's a warfare in there. There's always that old man wanting to do the works of the flesh and the new man that wants to serve God and do right. Uh, <clears throat> Well, we haven't got time to go to 7th chapter of Romans and read that sometime. But he said, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. 
I'm going to tell you, this world's full of ravening wolves. Old Satan himself is left a roaring lion, walking to and fro, up and down the earth, seeking whom he may devour. You know what a lion looks for first? The weak. He looks for the weak and the, the disabled, those that are poor down. What's our job as ambassadors for Christ? To lift up God's little children, help them along the way, but, uh, be a be a, a helper in, in working together for the good things. And he closes this uh, Sermon on the Mount with this little parable, if I can put it that way. He says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these savings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man that built his house upon a rock. So we ask ourselves, where am I building? Am I building on the rock? He says, the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. I'm going to tell you, Jesus is the rock. (laughs) Upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. If we're on the foundation of Jesus Christ and the apostles building our house, it will not fall. (laughs) It will not finally be... uh, uh, washed away. He says, everyone that heareth these sayings of man and doeth them not, here's the other side, shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. The rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. I guess my thoughts today are, where are we building? Are we being uh, true disciples of Christ and building on that rock. <clears throat> Paul put it this way. He says, uh, some build with uh, gold and silver and precious stones. Some with wood, hay, and stubble. <laughs> he says, the day of fire shall declare it. What do you mean by that? I don't think he's talking about the end of time. Not, 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 that's not what's going to de- de- declare what your house is built on. I mean, the end of time, you're going to have the same house that the very best of all of God's children had. That triumphant house in glory. That's going to be ours. It's not going to be a little cabin in the corner. <laughs> We're going to have everything Jesus has. <clears throat> but when Paul admonished the Corinthian church, ask them, were they building with gold and silver and precious stones? That's the things of the truth of the gospel. That's the wonderful blessings of of living a life of discipleship or are you building with wood hay and stubble and those things are easily burned and and the fire will declare it what's the fire there i think he's talking about the tribulations and the things of this life that just burns us up when we're out there building with wood hay and stubble won't change our eternal home in heaven but it'll sure make it miserable for us while we live here. And he says he'll be saved by fire, yet so out by fire. We'll be saved by that. There takes some. Sometimes we have to be pruned. We have to be uh, purged. Purge the old sin. Purge these things out of our life and live for the glory of Christ. I thank you for your good attention.